go three days' journey into the wilderness, that they may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you have made them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather the straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle." Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let the heavier work be laid on the men uh, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your uh, straw for yourselves wherever you can find it. You but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. Uh, The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when you had straw, there was as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to, uh, they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but let the fault, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. Straw will be get, will no straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people saw that they were in trouble, and they said, uh, "You shall by no means." Re-, when they said, "You shall by no means reduce the number of your bricks, uh, your daily task each day," they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said, "The Lord look on you and judge you." Because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh so to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. And then going down to the first verse of chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to come before you today, and and, uh, we want to just ask that you would be with us and speak to us through your word, that you would have something for us, that you would... Uh, touch our hearts and convict us, Lord, that we would be a people who who know the Lord and who are confident in the Lord and and in our knowledge of the Lord uh, seek to obey you and submit to you and and respond because of all the good things uh, that you have done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The question we want to ask this morning 
is the question that Pharaoh asks. Of course, we want to ask it in the right heart and attitude and frame of mind, but we want to ask the question, who is the Lord? Uh, Do I really know the Lord? Now, there are a lot of people that you will encounter from day to day, and perhaps some of you even here in this room would say, yes, yes, of course I know God, or of course I believe in God. And yet you do not know the Lord God in a personal way, in a saving way, through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in our culture, a lot of people will believe in God in a general way, and yet they do not know God in an intimate way. They do not have a relationship with Him. Maybe they even know a lot of things about their Bible, but they do not know God personally. Maybe they think God is just someone who's up there in heaven, and of course I believe that He exists, but they go about their daily business as if none of it matters. They live life according to their own standards, their own ways, and so they say, well, yeah, 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 God God is real, but they don't let that impact their life. If you know the Lord, you respond to the Lord. If you know the Lord, you have a desire to obey the Lord. If you know the Lord, you have received salvation by His grace. And that grace causes us to desire to be loyal and obedient to Him. So we want to ask the question, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord and do you know Him? I think if you had to pick one theme for the entire book of Exodus, you could, you could make that the theme of Exodus. Who is the Lord? Because God, throughout the book of Exodus, is consistently and continually revealing Himself to His people. He is coming down and He's showing His might. He is showing His power. He is showing His majesty. But He is showing His compassion. As He takes Israel, His firstborn son, out of this slavery as He takes them to Mount Sinai and He gifts them with the law and He takes care of them, sending them manna, sending them ravens so that they would have something to eat. He provides for them. And yet they grumble. And yet they complain. Who is the Lord? Moses later on will say, Lord, let me me see Your face. Who is the Lord? God will make a tabernacle in Exodus so that that God can come down and and symbolically in the tabernacle dwell in their presence and and the people of God are protected from the holiness of God so that their sin doesn't cause them to be eradicated. But yet, God is present in their midst so they might know this is who the Lord is. This theme is throughout the book of Exodus. But notice when Pharaoh asks this, he's not asking this out of a desire for genuine knowledge. And this is our first point this morning, that Pharaoh rejects the Lord. So, just follow with me kind of through the narrative, and we're just kind of, we're kind of walk through it a little bit here. But, but Moses and Aaron have done these signs before Israel. Uh, that is the end of chapter 4, verse 30 and 31. Uh, and it says, the people believed and they heard the Lord had visited Uh, When they heard the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their afflictions, they bowed their head and worshiped. Now, after this, Moses and Aaron go into Pharaoh. Verse one. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord. Now, now just kind of flag that in your mind there. Thus saith the Lord, because I'm going to make a connection to that later. 
Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now, one commentator pointed out that thus saith the Lord is a is a common phrase throughout the prophets when the word of the Lord is coming uh, or is, is being told. And this is actually the first time in Scripture that particular phrase is used. But again, remember that there a later point will connect to that. Notice also that Moses is not being deceptive here. Right. The, the final goal is to take all of God's people out of the land, out of Egypt, out of their slavery and get them to the promised land. There is no coming back. Moses is not being deceptive here in asking for three days for two reasons. One, in Exodus 3.18, the Lord told Moses to say to Pharaoh, say to him, quote, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, please let us go on a three-day journey into that wilderness. The second reason it's not uh, Moses being deceptive, and, and one commentator brings this out, that in the ancient Near East, the style of requesting favors, the initial request is purposely made in a modest way. So although is what really is being sought is we're going to leave and we're done here, the, the initial request is brought in a manner that shows respect to the Pharaoh and is merely a modest request. This also goes to highlight just how stubborn and greedy Pharaoh's heart was. We haven't even gotten to the request of, hey, let him go permanently. And Pharaoh is already saying, I can't spare them for three days. They work for me. They are my slaves. How lazy are you to ask for three days off to worship your God? And so Pharaoh asked the question, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Now, this is not a question of innocence. This is a question of insolence. This is not a question of of. Pharaoh just being like, wow, uh, I've never heard of your God. Uh, tell me more about him. I'd, I'd like to know. You know, if, if someone came up to you and, and said, you know, hey, there's a law on the books that says you have to do this. You would say, who wrote this law? Is it a real law? You'd want to know. Do I actually have to follow this? You would ask innocent and uh, uh, normal questions to say, oh, do I really have to follow this? Or are you just making this law up? This is not what Pharaoh is asking. Oh, do I really have to follow this God or did you you just make this up? He is asking with intent to say, why should I listen to your God? It's kind of like in, in English, we might say, who are you? Who made you boss? We're not asking about the person. We're saying, what right do you have to tell me what to do? And Pharaoh is saying, what right does this Lord guy you're talking about have to tell me what to do? I am the son of the divine, as Pharaoh thought of himself as. I'm the one in charge of Egypt. Everything that happens in Egypt happens because of my hand. I am in control. I establish all of my kingdom. Who is the Lord? that I should listen to him. 
In the book of Proverbs, this question is used, and again, it illustrates what it means to deny the Lord and walk away from Him. The, the, the book of Proverbs says this, Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? The proverb equates denying the Lord, refusing to follow Him, with the statement, Who is the Lord? You see this happen with human individuals in, in the Bible elsewhere. You'll remember this scenario maybe. Uh, you probably maybe don't remember the name Nabal, but you might remember Nabal's wife, Abigail. And, and David is, and his men are protecting the flocks of Nabal. Uh, and they go down to Nabal's men and to Nabal and they say, Hey, we've protected your flocks. We've guarded you. We've shown you hospitality. We're roaming the same land. We've protected uh, your people Give us some of your sheep so that we may have a feast. And Nabal says, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their master. Now, he obviously knew who David was. Why? Because he knew this was the son of Jesse. And he knew that David had broken away from Saul and was fleeing. This is not a question of, wow, I've never heard of this David guy. Tell me, tell me, I'd like to give something to him. Tell me about him. Should, should I do this? This is, this is, again, the who do you think you are? There's another example in the book of Judges. Uh, there's a character named Gaal, the son of Abed, uh, and he really takes issue and is angry at Gideon's son, Abimelech, and he's been talking smack about him, if we could put it that way, uh, around town. And um, then he comes in Judges 8, 9, 28, and he says, Who is Abimelech and who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Now, he's been trash-talking Abimelech. He knows who Abimelech is. The point is this question, this who is the Lord or who is David or who is Abimelech, it is an open rebellion. It is a challenge. This is, this is Pharaoh challenging God. And, and really, in the book of Exodus, in these early chapters, the tension, the, the conflict, the drama, if you will, is not between Moses, Aaron versus Pharaoh. It's between the one who Moses represents, God, the Lord God, the God of the living and the dead, the maker of heavens and earth, the one who has called Israel to be his people and has revealed this covenant name to them, the I am who I am, versus Pharaoh, who has this staff and, and people think that he's divine and he thinks that he has this authority over all of the creation and he establishes a sort of a peace over it, that he's the one that upholds uh, the creation and the Nile and how everything functions in the land. This really is God versus Pharaoh. And, and just kind of as an aside, like I hope as we're going through this, I hope you get into this. I hope this like, this is cool stuff. Like, like this is going to be a fight. This is God versus Pharaoh. And, and obviously, like, who's going to win? And there's this dramatic tension. Of course we know who's going to win, but, but it, the, the drama of it intensifies. And we should, we should enjoy that about Scripture this is how God shows us who He is. He humbles this prideful, arrogant man and, and drives him into the dust. 
This guy who thinks he's a God learns that there is only one God and we should be saying, yeah, that's my God. That is my God. He stands up for his people. Look at how mighty he is. It's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, in, in the schoolyard days when there's a bully and, and um, you find the big kid that can stand up to the bully and you're like, yeah, I'm with him. We're with him, God, the living God, who puts down this arrogant Pharaoh. It's interesting, later on, when Jethro encounters the Lord, or excuse me, when Jethro encounters Moses, he says this of the Lord, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Now I know. See, so you have Pharaoh on the one hand saying, Who is the Lord? I don't know Him. And you have Jethro saying, I know. He, he's saying, I, I believe. He's real and He has done these things. You have the same thing Rahab uh, in, in the beginning of Joshua. She says, you know, we've heard how your God brought you out of Egypt and it terrifies us. And I know that He is the God of heaven and earth. Now think about this. This is a woman who would have worshipped pagans, gods. Jethro was a priest of the Midianites, so he would have been a priest of all kinds of false gods. And both of them come and say, now I know that this is God. At the core of this, this is what it means to be saved. You look at who the Scriptures describe God to be. You see what God has done in saving His people in the Lord Jesus Christ. That the Son of God came down and died and took our place that we might be freed from our slavery to sin. And you put your faith and trust in Him and you say, Now I know that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior and Lord who died for me. I believe in Him, I trust Him. Let me suggest to you that the burning question that Pharaoh has is the same burning question that our age struggles with. Who is the Lord? You talk to a co-worker who doesn't believe in God and they want to know who is the Lord. You try to tell someone that this way that they're living isn't Right. It isn't true. It isn't the way that God has has created things to be, that this is some sort of sin. And they'll say things like, why should I follow the Bible? Who's this God? This is this is ridiculous. This is a nobody. It's that same mentality of I'm going to do it my way and set my own standards and my own rules. And who are you to tell me that there's a God that has a right and a wrong, and He can judge me. But this is who Scripture portrays God to be. He's the Maker of heaven and earth. And while He comes to save a people, for those that continue to reject Him, there will be a day of judgment. And so in the day that 
God takes out His people from the land of Egypt, He also judges the Egyptians that did not respond to Him. And they lose their firstborn sons. Do I understand and recognize that the Lord is the sovereign King? That He's the ruler of heaven and earth? Do I have a a good and, and proper fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is this idea of reverence. The fear of the Lord, you don't say, well, who's this God that I should listen to Him? The fear of the Lord says, this is God. And I need to heed His words. He has told me what is right and it's for my good. It's a, a reverence of awesomeness. Do you know the Lord? Have you believed in Him? Do you submit to His authority? Have you confessed that He is Savior and Lord? John 17.3 tells us this, and this is eternal life that they know you. This is Jesus praying. What is eternal life? That the believer knows you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. Salvation is knowing God. You put your faith and your trust in Him. It's not about checking off an item on a box. It's not about merely mouthing some words. It's about knowing Him and trusting Him. Just like I would say, I know my Father. And I trust Him. Interestingly, when I was in children's church, my dad was teaching children's church and he tried to illustrate the trust between a father and a son. And he had me come up front and he had me stand on a piano bench we pulled over. And he was trying to get me to do a trust fall. (laughs) And I wouldn't do it because I was scared of standing in front of other people. And so his whole illustration about trust uh, completely flopped. Because I wouldn't uh, lean back. And if a trust fall, you know, you stand up high and you lean back and somebody uh, catches you. And and so that kind of shot his illustration uh, to pieces. Trust me, though, I do trust my dad. But it should be the same way with the Lord, right? I trust the Lord. I know the Lord. This is who He is. This is how He acts. This is His character. His character is good and righteous and holy. And yes, He judges sin because He is pure. But He is gracious and He is merciful through those who cry out to Him. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, speaking to Gentiles, Formerly, you did not know God. You were enslaved by those uh, that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? There's some parallels there to the Exodus. God's people were in slavery He pulls them out. He reveals Himself. They know God. And yet, we find later on in the book of Exodus, they want to go back to Egypt. The point is, though, throughout the Old and New Testament, salvation is knowing God. How would you answer the question this morning? Who is the Lord? And if we were to ask you that question, would you respond in reverence? in submission, in trust? Or would you respond in the pride of self-exaltation? 
The sort of, I'm going to do it my way. It's my life. The sort of answer that Pharaoh gave. Notice Pharaoh goes on here and he persecutes the Israelites. So he denies the Israelites' straw. And you can see this starting in verse 5. Behold, the people of the land are now many. I think what's going on here is that this is a boast. You know, look at all the slaves I have. Now, at the beginning of Exodus, the previous Pharaoh was worried that they became many. I think here what it is, it's like, this is my kingdom. This is my domain. There are many here and they are under my control. I'm not letting them go. It's kind of like the person who boasts that they are uh, the CEO of a, of a Fortune 500 company and says, you know, look at all that I have. Look at all my employees. Look at how many offices we have. Look at how many airplanes we have. Company jets. He's saying, look at all that I have that establishes my dominion. I have in the land many, many people who are my slaves. And he says, you make them rest from their burdens? The same Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen. So the taskmasters would have been the Egyptian people that were kind of the bosses, the overseers. Uh, The foremen would have been the Israelite people that are kind of like um, in charge, the immediate people in charge of, of their teams of Egyptians. So if you think of it like a military analogy, you have the general would have been the pharaoh, uh, the officers uh, would have been like the taskmasters, and maybe like the platoon leaders who are still the enlisted grunts, but they're one or two steps above the privates and the corporals. Those guys would have been like the foremans of the Israelites. He said, you shall no longer give them straw you should, to make bricks. Uh, so not only is it harder, you can't make bricks without straw, but now you've got to do the extra work of going out and getting the straw. And they're not to reduce the number of bricks uh, that's given to them. Notice also, um, you shall no longer give them straw, uh, verse 8. But the number of bricks you shall, that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. The idea here, I think, is you wouldn't be asking for time off if you weren't so lazy. Let the heavier work be laid on the men and let them that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Now, notice that he says he will not grant them rest in verse five. You make them rest from their burdens and he's not going to give it. Here again, the contrast between Pharaoh and the Lord. What does the Lord tell his people to do on the seventh day of the week? Rest. It's what? The Sabbath. Same word for rest is used here, sabbat. It's it's the verb form. What does God tell them to do? What, What is the promised land? It's a land of This this is not a trick question. It's a land of rest. (laughs) You also, we read a little bit in Exodus that every every seventh year, they were supposed to have their crops rest. God values rest. There's an appropriate time for this. Uh, Just as a joke, I'm going home this afternoon and I'm going to take a nap. It's rest. It's okay. God says we should rest. 
God also says in Exodus 23 that, that they were to have their servants and the sojourners in the land rest. Think of how the, the contrast is here. They were slaves. They were never allowed to rest. They're not supposed to do it the same way uh, when they get to the promised land. They are to rest on the seventh day. They are to rest on the seventh year. They are to really rest on the Jubilee year, which is the 49th year, seven times seven. Uh, the Lord gives the Sabbath rest. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. That you, uh, for you have not yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. He says, but when you go over to the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord has given you to inherit, there He gives you rest from your enemies. The book of Hebrews says that God gives us rest. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God And whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work. In the book of Revelation, when the saints are before the Lord, waiting the day of resurrection, it says, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Going to heaven when you die is the ultimate rest. The new heavens and the new earth is the ultimate rest. God doesn't just want us to rest one day a week or one year out of the month. These things were, were symbolic of a true and greater rest that comes in Jesus. And we're still waiting some of that rest. We're still waiting to enter the promised rest. God gives His people rest. Peace, ease from their burdens. He takes the weight off of them. He takes their burdens of sin. He takes their trials and their troubles. This is such a wonderful theme to just trace through the Scriptures. Notice then as we go on, uh, the Pharaoh's overseers, the, the, the taskmasters and the foremen, they relay the message. Verse 10. This is kind of going to be important. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. And then they go on and they repeat everything that Pharaoh says, and the people are scattered throughout the land going to look, at, uh, at, at, uh, going to look for straw. Notice this, though. It begins in the passage with what? Thus saith the Lord. And now we come along, and what are we hearing? Thus saith Pharaoh. It's this rivalry that's coming up. Who's the boss? Who is right? Whose word has authority here? Who establishes these things? Who should we be listening to? This phrase is intentional. This is not just them saying, we want you to know what Pharaoh said. This is them saying, this comes with all the quote-unquote divine authority of Pharaoh. We're his slaves, and we need to do it. The foreman will later come back, and they will try to make an appeal to Pharaoh. They'll, they'll complete, they say, um, the taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foreman of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmaster had set over them, were beaten and were asked, 
Why have you not done all your tasks of making bricks today, yesterday, as in the past? And of course, this isn't because uh, they didn't know. This is them being brutal in the asserting of their authority. Uh, one of the signs here that, that someone does not fear the Lord is that when your sin confronts you, or when the word of the Lord confronts you, you either ignore it or you do worse and double down. So, again, the foremen go to Pharaoh and they say, why do you treat your servants like this? Pharaoh says to them, verse 17, you're idle, you're idle. I, I really wish we would have just translated this, you're lazy, you know. You're a bunch of lazy bums, which of course they weren't. But, but you see what Pharaoh does in his rejection of the Lord? He doubles down with his oppression. Not only does he say, you know, well, I'm, who's the Lord? I, I don't think I ought to listen to him. He, he rebels even more. I'm not going to listen to him. In fact, I'm going to show you how strong and powerful I am by doubling down on the work. And then the cries for mercy come even more. And he says, hey, no way, Jose. And he pushes hard into his sin because Pharaoh thinks he's the boss. He thinks he's God. We could contrast this to Nebuchadnezzar in the Scriptures. Nebuchadnezzar learns the hard way that he's not the boss. That the kingdom that he has is a gift from God. He loses his sanity for seven years He eats grass in the field. His hair becomes mangy, like like eagle's feathers, like icky and awful. Everybody's seeing him and thinking he's crazy. And at the end of this, it says, He lifted his eyes to heaven, and my reason returned. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of the heavens and of the inhabitants of the earth. And none of his hand, none can stay his hand or say, what have you done? This is what it looks like to submit to the Lord. And you can see how Pharaoh is doing the exact opposite. He's not acknowledging that God is the God of heaven and earth and in control of all things. Pharaoh is saying, I'm in control of everything here. We need to be careful that that kind of attitude doesn't develop in us. The Bible describes us in our sin as enslaved to sin. And like in the Exodus, through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are liberated from sin as the Son of God lays down His life and dies for us to pay the penalty for our sin. And the book of Romans says, Now that you have been set free from sin... And have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. If you understand how God has freed you from your slavery to sin, you understand that the Lord is your master. You can't serve Pharaoh and the Lord. You can't serve two masters in Scripture, God and money are opposed as two masters. You can't walk in the world and its sin 
and walk in the ways of God at the same time. If you've come, just like the people of Israel were made children of God, if you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are made children of God. And He loves us. And He cares for us. But as His children, He calls us to walk in His ways. To know who He is. To not be the, our own authority in our lives. I'm going to do it my way. Now we need to do it the Lord's way. And follow his word. What I want you to notice, and this is the third thing here, the Israelites do have a moment here where they waver in their trust. So they come out in verse 19, or they realize they were, they're in really big trouble in verse 19. Uh, it says they saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number, your daily task each day. So they come out, verse 20, they met Moses and Aaron waiting for them. So you can imagine the scene. They're walking out of Pharaoh's thing, and and here's Aaron and Moses waiting there. And you kind of wonder if Moses and Aaron were like arms crossed and be like, you know, we told you that wasn't going to go well. Not sure, but it's a funny image, I think, to put in our heads. They're waiting there, and as they came out from the Pharaoh, listen to what they say. They say this to Aaron and Moses. The Lord look on you and judge you because you have made us a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They're saying, Moses, you made our situation worse. They'll do this many times in the book of Exodus. They get into the land and they don't have a lot of food. Uh, They get into the, the wilderness and they don't have a food and they say, oh, we're better off back in Egypt. No, no, they weren't. No, they weren't. They, they wavered in this moment. They were all excited. Yes, God's going to take care of us. He's going to hear the cries that we've given. Now they've just gone back and rather than crying to God, they're crying to Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh doesn't listen, they come out and they blame Moses and Aaron. May God judge you for what you've done. That's not a nice thing to say. They want to stick it to Moses and Aaron. And of course... Moses cries out to the Lord, verses 22 and 23, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have delivered your people, but you have not delivered your people at all. We should should almost add there for our own self, you know, yet. Because we know it's coming. But, but in the moment, he's like, you haven't delivered it yet. You haven't done it. Where is your word? I think sometimes we respond to the Lord this way. And we should ask ourselves if we do respond to the Lord. Sometimes we think the Christian life, because God loves us, means we'll never have any hardship. Nothing tough will ever happen. We'll never lose a spouse. We'll never lose a job. A marriage will never fall apart. And God does give us incredible grace and protects us from so many things. But we still live in a world plagued by sin. And sometimes when we encounter the effects of sin, we question the goodness of God. Why would you allow this to happen to me? Lord, you were supposed to free me from these burdens. Why is it still going on? I've committed my life to you. Why does this person still hate me? Why does this person still treat me like trash? 
Here I am following you and my life has gotten harder. We need to remember that Jesus is gracious and compassionate. His burden is light. He's not oppressive. He ministers compassion and mercy in our time of need. But second, being a Christian doesn't exempt you from hardship. You may lose a loved one. You may do everything right and a spouse may still leave or you get fired from your job or your house burns down or your children or child walk away from the Lord. Consider the life of Job. He had done nothing wrong. He lost everything. Does that mean God didn't care? Does that mean we should be like the Israelites here and be like, well, Moses, I don't know why you brought the Word. Why do I even follow the Bible anymore? No. Sometimes the evil one attacks us hardest in the hour of our redemption. Sometimes when the Lord is working, the attacks actually get harder, not easier. Paul actually describes this. He says, you know, a great door has opened for the ministry. And he says, we have many persecutors or we have many opponents. Like you, like you would think it's the exact opposite, right? This great door for the ministry its going smooth. It's going wonderful. Nothing bad is happening. And Paul says, yeah, you know how I know the door is open? We have a lot of opponents. And sometimes it's that way in our life. Now, sometimes it's not the evil one that's doing it. Sometimes it's our own self, our own circumstances or other people. But we need to be careful that we don't buy into a soft version of the prosperity gospel that says, because I believe in Jesus, there will never be any difficulty again in my life. But I can promise you this. The Lord hears your cry when you cry out in the difficulties. Look at what he did for the people in their slavery. They cried out and he heard them. The Lord Jesus is compassionate and merciful as a high priest. He ministers mercy and grace and he hears us. This is about knowing the Lord. And and when you know the Lord as a believer, the call and the challenge is when things get hard, lean into Him even more. Don't back away and say, where is God in this? You can confess and say, look God, I don't see what you're doing. But don't be afraid to plead with Him. We struggle with doubts. Don't be afraid to give them over to Him and say, Lord, I am struggling here. Deliver me. Hear what's going on. Strengthen me through this. Hebrews 11.13 says this about people of faith, the heroes of the faith. They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. We are still in that period of being strangers and exiles on earth, that this is not our ultimate home. So we know the Lord, and the Lord is our our Father, and we are His children. But we are still walking that path of the exile, waiting a better rest, waiting a better promised land. Don't lose sight of the goodness that God has for you as His children. Don't let that stir up doubt in you because you're still on this path, an exile 
on the earth, awaiting the work of God. I love how this passage ends. I love this. Number four, the Lord will act. If, if this was a, a movie scene, we would like cue the dramatic music. The tension is, is rising now. God is going to speak. The Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do. For with a strong hand He will send them out. With a strong hand He will drive them out from the land. This is like the... We should play some of the music from the old westerns, right? You know, right right when there's the showdown and the two gunslingers walk out and, and everybody's on the side of the street and they're like closing the blinds and everybody's running away and there's just that dramatic tension. Will the hero gunslinger win or will he be shot down by the bad guy? Will, will Pharaoh win with his strong and mighty hand as he oppresses Israel even harder? He's doubled down against God? Or will God step into the ring? God steps into the ring. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. I mean, we should be like, yeah, I'm, I'm on his team. That's right. That's God. I'm with him. I don't want to be on the team that he's going to take, attack here, that he's going to stick it, uh, that he's going to judge and, and stick it to. You will see. This kind of completes where some of the narrative has been going. Uh, in Exodus chapter 3, God has said, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt. He says, I know Pharaoh won't let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. And and it's going to be God's mighty hand. In Exodus 4, 21 to 23, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do that before Pharaoh, all the miracles that I put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And this is Pharaoh hardening his heart. And you'll see this in the coming narrative. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. God delivers his true son, Jesus Christ, from death. Jesus Christ dies on the cross, pays the penalty for our sin, and God the Father raises him. Death cannot hold him. And God adopts us into his family. And because of Christ, we become a son of God. And Jesus, our elder brother. And God stands up for His children. This is why the call to worship was Exodus 42.13. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up His zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows Himself to be mighty against His foes. We need to say this morning, come, behold your God. This is who He is. This is what He does. God reveals Himself and His great majesty and might and power when He comes to deliver His people. And He does that in the Exodus and He has done that in the Lord Jesus Christ. The takeaway from the sermon is this. Look and see that the Lord is God. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, 
He likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Do you know the Lord? And if you do, he's delivered you from slavery. That is who our God is. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to ask that you would work, that you would work through your word this morning, that we would delight in you, that if there are any here who do not know the Lord, who have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and forgive, uh, received the forgiveness of sin, that they would cry out to you this morning and ask that they might know you and believe in you and trust you. If there are any of us who in recent days have wavered in our trust in the Lord. Maybe these questions and doubts have, have risen in our own mind, in our own heart. Who are you? Where are you? What are you doing? Lord, strengthen in us a faith in you. That you don't abandon your children. That you don't leave us. That you don't neglect us. That you have a purpose and a plan for us in all of our ways and in all that you even allow to happen. You are there and walking through it with us. Bring us comfort. Remind us that you are a man of war who defeats evil, but also fights for your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A really cool thing about the way the passage ends. And I want to I just bring this out because have fun when you're reading Exodus. It's just such a, a great uh, narrative in, in the Word of God. Notice how he says... Um, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out. With a strong hand he will drive them. So Pharaoh thinks he has this strong hand, right? And and there's there's just tremendous fun irony here. Oh yeah, he's going to send them out with a strong hand. Why? Because God's going to force his hand with a stronger hand. It's it's kind of like you you know when two kids are maybe like an adult and a kid are arm wrestling. And, and you just take your hand, it's so much stronger, and you just, boom. Like, that is what God's hand is going to do to Pharaoh. But, but the emphasis is on, yeah, Pharaoh will send them out with a strong hand. The subtle illusion is God's hand is stronger. It's, it's like Pharaoh going, I, I don't want to send them out. And God's going to say, nope, send them out with your strong hand. And he'll have no choice but to do this. God's going to deliver his people. Let's... Um, Close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we do just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your strength and your might and your majesty, that you do control all things and watch over us. We do pray that you'd watch over us as we go out from here. We pray that you'd strengthen us and build us up and give us just a a confidence in you that no matter what we are going through, uh, we know that you are in control and your strong hand oversees all of these things and that nothing bad can touch us apart from your will, and you have a purpose for everything. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.